Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Grace Watch Media. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today, aside from being very congested and nasally, uh, we have Josh Rubin on the podcast. It is his second time back on, and he is a very talented actor, writer, director that has a movie at Sundance, premiering at Sundance in January. It's his first movie. How annoying is that? <laughs> How great is that? Yeah, a lot has changed since we last had Josh on. He's still directing a ton of commercials, but his new film, Scare Me, is uh, premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in January. Yeah, it stars him and Aya Cash from You're the Worst. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Drysdale and Chris Redd from SNL. Pretty cool cast, you guys. Very yeah. exciting. So what I love about this, because there's a handful of really great nuggets, but I think the thing that's really interesting that we talk about a decent amount is how Josh had a set of parameters that he gave himself when he first sat down to write this movie. And they were kind of, you know, some of them are more logistical of like having a single location or things like that, limiting the number of characters, but also some of them are much more ideological. And so we dig in on what motivated him to make the film, why it was important to him, and why focusing on those things was kind of a breakthrough for him. Right, and he's been directing for like, I don't know, 15 years or a very long time, but this is his first feature film, and it is a low-budget feature film. And yeah, his story of of how the idea came to him and how he got to Sundance is pretty awesome. Pretty I, great. I learned a lot of things. Yeah, Yeah, it's another fun, special one. I feel like we've had a lot of like the indie fairy tale stories uh, over this last year and I love hearing them and I love digging in on the actual nitty-gritty of how those things came to be so it's not just like oh everyone loves my scripts and I'm a genius and it all happened really easily it's really about how Josh laid out 15 years worth of experience and connections and commitment to the craft and how that paid off in many surprising different ways Yeah, and I don't want to brag or anything, but like he said, one of the biggest influences in his life is this podcast. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, he he said that um, he owes everything to just shoot it. So that's been pretty nice to hear. He didn't really say that, but he does listen. And I do think that if Sundance filmmakers are listening to this podcast and you're listening to this podcast, then you are by property of transition also a Sundance filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, before we hop into our conversation with Josh, Orin, it has been a while. What have you been working on lately? I've been uh, pitching on some commercials. Not didn't quite land anything this month, but I did work on a scripted podcast project with a friend of mine, and we basically we wrote a TV show, we adapted it into a podcast, and then we cast actors and we recorded the whole thing, and we're putting it together now. So it's like I'm, it's kind of like a mini passion project. I'm really looking forward to my kit fee on all the gear you used. No, we didn't use any of your gear. Oh, okay, only use my gear <laughs> okay, when uh, we recorded. Okay, perfect. Uh, but it was really fun. I wanted it to feel real, like mm-hmm. an NPR type of docu series, or like S Town or Serial or whatever, one of those. And so we didn't quite do it as much as I wanted. I mean, we recorded thirty pages in two days. So with all the actors. So first of all, I wanted all the actors together doing the scenes, which is something that, that in voiceover yeah. and podcasts and stuff, a lot of times you don't do. You record each actor separately. But I had them all together, which was fun. And then um, we had a few driving scenes that we actually recorded 
driving oh, while you're driving that's fun and that's we had great. this like kind of thriller horror scene like where this girl she wakes up in the middle of the night and like she's hearing sounds outside of her window mm-hmm. and we kind of did that in my house like mm-hmm. she starts on great. the couch oh, she stands up I love and she that. runs around she wiggles the door that's so fun yeah we will have to add a lot of kind of sound design sure, elements and stuff but uh, even just like the way that it affects the way people breathe and their cadence and the performance and just the vocal quality will ch- change and so like you've got a foundation to layer on top of it's kind of like vfx right like if you do some things practically then it makes the digital stuff more realistic yeah i'm curious to see how it all turns out there's this one part where like she her and her friend are driving in this car and someone yells at them from a, a different car and I would just try to like have the actor that yelled at them like kind of go down the hallway in my house and yell from far away, but it feels like it's in a house. Like you can feel the hallway. You can so right. There's some things I'm still kind of balancing that, but I'm going for like a realism here, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it turns out. But I'll I'll let you know on the next catch up how it all cuts together. Love it. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, I also got, I'm talking about this at the end of the podcast, but I got a new light and I've been playing around with it a lot. That's pretty fun too. So yeah, all good stuff, but excited for 2020. Mm-hmm. Gonna have, a, I'm not going to look at any election news <laughs> Oh my God! for the next 11 months. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Well, I am knee deep in both doing a final fundraising leg for my wife's feature. And then also we're in deep pre-production on it. So I actually, we, wait, you start shooting in like 18 days. Yeah, no. I know. High days is what Jewish people call it. Yeah. 18 is high. That's like a callback to a joke that we haven't gotten to yet in the recording. Yeah. But also, yeah. like, anyone Jewish will know what I'm talking about, and anyone not Jewish will have no idea what I'm talking about. I, well, I don't know what you're talking about, so there we go. I want to make this episode re-listenable, Re-listenable. Too. Perfect. Yeah. So we're, we're really, like, rocking and rolling, filing permits, locking in, casting, and crew, and all, all of the stuff. Is the location... Your place? The first location. The first of the two major locations is my place, yes. Do you have the second location? Not yet. Do you have your neighbor's permission? Yes. And you have permits for your place? Yes. And you're shooting this like in a weird schedule, right? Yeah, it's um, it's partially... The first leg is in like three-day chunks, basically, like over long weekends. And that's for a, a number of different logistical reasons, but it has been really helpful in kind of spacing things out and giving us a little bit of room to breathe on things. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's the first three days start on the 17th. And are you cast? We are mostly cast, yes. Cool. I know. And are you, like, is it hard to not be directing? No, no. I've actually learned to have more fun producing and it's challenging to be producing for your partner are you the main producer it's myself and then b chaheen is also producing we've worked together for a really long time and has been kind of she produced the short that my wife directed that i produced with her as well so we and i knew her we met on squaresville so like she's been a part of the team in a pretty significant way for a long time so um, and is your wife producing she, she is producing in the way that all like a micro indie budget director. indie directors have to produce yeah cool yeah so yeah it's so crazy you're gonna be shooting a feature film i know except it's your wife's feature film <laughs> yeah but it's your feature film yeah but she she wrote and directed and, and is directing and acting is in it acting as well yeah 
She's Josh Rubening this thing. She is. Yeah. So it's been really exciting. But And we'll talk, uh, I'm sure, a lot more about it as it continues to go on. And um, apologies if I'm not on an episode or two here or there, guys. Oh, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. I already made a list of co-hosts just in case this happened. Great. Perfect. Well, awesome. Well, before we get into Josh Rubin, the prototype for this type of filmmaking, uh, we'd love to tell you about our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash pod. You can find out more about it. It's a way that if you get something from the podcast, if you're one of those people that texts me and is like, hey, not a bad episode, then maybe you want to give us like a dollar or three per month. If you give us 10 bucks, we'll send you a Just Shoot It hat. And uh, you can be the coolest kid at your school. So it's pretty cool. That's it. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod. And yeah, let's get on with the show. I'm a commercial director, as as you guys clearly know. Uh, 19- but you started out as an actor. Absolutely. I uh, want, just wanted to act. So when I moved to New York City in 2001, t- literally two weeks after 9-11 to go to acting school, my buddy Sam Reich, who I met in summer camp with Elaine Carroll, my other buddy, we all met at the same time, summer camp, all moved to the city more or less at staggered points. The city say, is New York. Oh, two in New York City. My parents had given me a camcorder for, I think, God, high school graduation that I'd had for quite a bit. Sam and I started making ridiculous little videos. Uh, Sam sort of said, there's this thing called the internet. This was pre-Flash, pre-YouTube. Mm-hmm. Let's put videos on the internet. Long story longer, we started a sketch group called Dutch West. We made 50 videos. Like They started as QuickTime videos. Then when Flash was a thing, we started putting them on YouTube. Um, like our first videos were like 10 minutes long. College Humor took a liking which to us. Which is long, you're saying. Oh, which, which is long at the time. I think, it's, I think it's coming back. Yeah, long videos are back now. Long videos are back. Now yeah. you can watch The Irishman only on <laughs> yeah, YouTube Irishman.tv. They changed it back. Uh. <laughs> they did. And so basically College Humor took a liking to us and was like, you do for us what you've been doing for yourselves. I worked at College Humor for seven years. That was my film school made sketches about boobs and beer and video games. I left to start a, uh, I wouldn't say a production company, but I left to work with uh, my partner at the time, Vince Payone. We directed a bunch of commercials. Can I ask you, when you were at College Humor, I mean, I know you were Mm -hmm. in a bunch of sketches and you wrote a bunch of sketches, but were you like choosing camera angles and doing directory type stuff? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I, and it was interesting because I, it took me of the seven years I was there because I didn't go to film school and I just made sketches that were pretty basic. Three people talking around a table, but weird things happen when you cut back to Orin, he's wearing a bigger beard or whatever, those kinds of that kind of level. That's real. (laughs) It'll be bigger when I look back at you. Um, I, I, it just was very visceral. And when I was on staff at College Humor, it became my anxiety heightened. And I sort of was like, you have a real crew now. It's not just handing the camera Mm -hmm. off to Matt and Orin. Right. It's. Yeah. You now have a crew of five who don't work at College Humor, the sound person, the et cetera, et cetera, PAs. Now you got to make it good, it feels even though real. they were pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my picking angles was, I mean, I would, I would storyboard usually with Vin, who was shooting all of them at the time, and every line would be a shot. So like, sure. okay, so there's a shot where they say that line, that's a shot, and then we, come, we go to Elaine, and she says this line, and that's a separate shot. And so my storyboards, quote unquote, would be like 15 pages. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, <laughs> right. it, I honestly, because I didn't go to film school, and I, n- I never thought of it filmically, sure. technically. A close-up, I never understood that as coverage. I never understood right. that that close-up could become a wide, could become a 
two shot to an insert. So six years into my seven year tenure <laughs> college humor, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I can make it better. And as my commercial career took off, I became a little more, you know, technically proficient, I guess you could say. And uh, the longest version of of, uh, of your guys' question of kind of how we got to scare me, my first feature was. As a commercial director, I was kind of at the end of my rope. And as an actor, constantly doing other people's stuff and also seeing buddies like Dean Peterson, who's made like 15 micro-budget movies, I was like, I have to do this for me. I know there's a weird one in here. So it was a combination of my manager, Brian Steinberg, saying, you got to make something. We can find money for you. You know, the the, myth- the mythical... Mm-hmm. Uh, the dentist money, I always right, say. Right, yeah, right, sure. exactly. Or the myth of the $50,000 film, which is now the $400,000 film, sure. if you want it to be seen. We can find a little bit of money for you with the people that we know. So between him saying, you're going to do it, it will happen. Wait, sorry, just to stop for a second. When you say the myth of the $400,000 film, are you saying... That it's a myth. <laughs> the myth of the so what what like, I've that's learned something dream, that, the that, goal. that's a dream, like something you wish you could have or it's no. something that you the the myth is that you make a four hundred thousand dollar film and you break into the, the business. The myth of the fifty it's the myth of the fifty thousand dollar film, which is that seems to be the magic mystery team mm-hmm. indie film. You know the right. Dean Peterson movie right. where Blair you're, you're going to get that thing seen exactly. 50 By the way, grand today, it'll if you ever insane. write a business proposal, I highly recommend you put Blair Witch Project as a movie <laughs> yeah. comparable in there. Paranormal yeah. Activity, 11,000. Sure. <laughs> um, the myth is that for, you know, I can get 50 grand together and go shoot something and then and then that will encompass my deliverables costs, my festival costs, my editing costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is, as my producer on Scare Me, Alex Bach said, if, if you you can make a movie for fifty grand, it's a matter of whether or not you want people, whether you want people to see it, is a whole other mm-hmm. thing. As <laughs> right. I've learned, which is why a lot of people shoot a movie, quote unquote, for fifty grand or even eleven grand, and then look for seventy five to get the thing, quote unquote, seen. But that the, is, but it, but I guess part of that myth is that you. You send your QuickTime file to Sundance and you get in and then you say like, hey, I'm premiering at Sundance. Who's going to buy this and pay for the deliverable? I, right? I honestly, I guess so. My my process going into what my movie was going to be with no thought whatsoever as to what those expenses would look like and what I would owe beyond honestly taking 25 grand out of the 401k that had accumulated. Wait, can you do that? Not without a penalty, and I'm still I'm still waiting for it. Yeah, um, yeah. you pay I, taxes basically. Absolutely. Yeah, so I and I'm happy to talk. But is about that, that the only yeah. penalty? Uh, you get a significant penalty. My dad recently told me he was like, you could have just taken a loan, and you get less of a penalty. Yeah. You can take up to ten thousand dollars for like a first time, for a hardship or a first time home buyer. Yes, or exactly. school. I think you can pay for right university. It's, yeah, exactly. yeah. There's a few loopholes, and then you're just paying basic taxes. But a hardship on that is income. like, why well, I want to make my movie. <laughs> yeah, and and when I when I uh, Chucky dolled, um, to, you know that disbursement. I was like, I just don't care. And I knew that I wanted to, um, Joe Swanberg to a degree, partly own my movie. It was going to be all me. Um, wait, wait, 
Was yeah. the the total budget of Scare Me twenty five thousand? Oh time? no 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 okay. no. Um, okay. I think we ended up shooting it for just short of a hundred thousand. Yeah, gotcha. that's not what it ultimately cost to sure. get kind of where we are. It also it didn't cost four hundred. But I'm just saying it. It always ended up, as in my experience, right. or did. You're saying million. basically the cost of shooting a film is one thing, and then the cost of marketing that movie, delivering right. it to distributors, etc. Is an additional three hundred fifty thousand, basically. Well, I, that's, it, that's big, big. That's the biggest bold, swing ever, but it, it's know. it's a significant cost. You know, it can be right. be the cost of the film to get through. I mean, I'm not an editor. I, you, you guys, I think, what both edit, you could probably uh, easily. Uh, you know, and Dean, for example, sure. if Paul Burgundy, guys like that. Wait, but but isn't the idea like if you are making the fifty thousand dollar movie or the hundred thousand dollar movie that you shoot it right, then you. Bring it in Adobe Premiere, even if you're not an editor, and you start putting it together. And when you're on set, you're like, oh, there was magic. This is so cool. This is going to be so good. And then you start putting it together, and you then you're like, oh, wait, this movie really is good. Now, like, let's show it to some people, get some interest in it, then raise the rest of the money. It's like, yeah. Like, you don't have to know. Like you don't have to have that four hundred thousand dollars in the bank before you, don't you have go to start have, shooting the no, movie no, no, because the Portuguese subtitles taken care of right before, because you don't yeah. know how far the movie's gonna go before you make it right. The crazy thing is, my drop in the bucket twenty five k was a drop in the bucket because we had to prep for, I think we had five four weeks of prep. This is like a tier zero. I'm learning everything. I don't even know what tier zero means. This was like a very, very, very low budget movie. DGA though. DGA, yes. I even called the DGA and said, hey, if I wanted to shoot a absolutely, you know, a zero budget film in my parents' backyard and I'm DGA, what do I have to do? And they basically told me if you, you could shoot it for $2, but if you pay into your pension, you're good. The tricky thing is that not only do you have to hire a first AD, you have to that person has to hire a second AD, and or you also need a DGA UPM. Um, right. So and it's, they have like a certain amount of prep that's guaranteed yes. as well. All and you can't be there. your own UPM. I can't know, but there were there are addendums that you can make. I do not listen to me verbatim uh, whatsoever, but. We did. We did have addendums or qualify for those. What are they? Not addendums. Um, they're they're exceptions, for for sake of how low tier uh, my first film was and everything like that. Like the the first AD that I went to basically had to work on it remotely, um, because she's like, well, f for the cost, I can do it as an exception. But I have two kids. I'm not going to go up and work in the snow for you know six pennies a day or whatever the hell it is but I can help you, guide you, X, Y, Z, and we can do it all above board. I'm jumping all over the place, but... The, the point, it's, it's yeah. complicated, basically. Like, it, as a d member of the DGA, there are things that are different than if you were just like, hey, I'm going to pick up a camera yeah, and shoot it in my yeah. backyard. And, but, yeah, but I, I will say that they, you know, they were super accommodating, and they, you know, they, they helped out. I, th I think, honestly, SAG was a little more difficult. We didn't know, I think, until maybe a week or two out that we could <laughs> qualify, like... They, we were SAG qualified, and they I think at one point they threatened the like newsletter thing. They do this new thing now where they're like, don't work with Josh Rubin because he – it's, it's sure, yeah. like oh, – yeah. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, it's like written by my uh, my, my high school uh, – my, my favorite high school tattletale, Polly Sagley. Um, don't work with – or else – oh, no, don't go to the backyard. Um, his uh, his model order pizza. Do you, do you know there's like a Twitter feed or an Instagram account? For SAG actors to like tattle on like FICOR 
Oh, I actors. Know. Interesting. I bet. Mm. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. What you know, FICOR, for those that don't know, are they're actors that were in SAG, but basically like relinquished their SAG rights in order to work on non-union commercials uh-huh. or non-union it's a, projects. It's a scary-ass, weird, tricky, tricky time. Like I, I, I Luckily, there are, with these exceptions and with the state of the industry that we're in now, it at least, there's an understanding. People understand that you need to go out and just shoot it. That's right. a part of how you build up your career in order to- You got to you know, show people stuff. You got to show people Beyond stuff the in order to build momentum. Exactly. But let me ask you, so obviously, you know, you have, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience right. of making amazing work. Aside from like your taste and your experience as a- filmmaker like for people that are listening that are like oh i i can get 25 grand or i can raise 100 grand to go make a movie since you had had all this directing experience like on bigger commercials and things Mm -hmm. were you getting hooked up with crew with equipment with other things like did you have other things inherent in just being you this experienced director that made it easier for you to make this movie like cast the yeah the biggest thing was aya cash because Wait, cash or cast? I cash. Oh, I cash. I thought you said I had cash. I is cast, which uh, is me. Uh, yeah. You're the worst. And, right. I cash uh, the actress, the lead. Uh, soon she's to be a- Amazon's uh, The Boys season two. Oh, that's exciting. Um, yeah. Um, she's also great in Easy. Yes, she is great in Easy. Fosse Verdon. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. Neil Simon's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should know her name and cut. Um, <laughs> I have known Aya's husband Josh for many years. We had the same voiceover agent in New York, and I'd met Aya a few times. She's always been super lovely and cool. And um, I don't know what on earth possessed me to think that she would even read something that I wrote, but I think I just sort of reached out and said, if I got this thing together, would you be interested in reading it? And she more or less was like, And it's the lead it. part. It's it's the lead, yeah. We, it's essentially co-lead with a, you. Correct, yeah. It's essentially a two-hander, and that, that three-hander ends up being with Chris Red from SNL, oh, who cool. absolutely blew our dicks off. He was so amazing. <laughs> um, and, the, and the fourth is Rebecca Drysdale, who also – Totally sure. blew, blew our di- she blew our dicks off. Sure, um, time's Wait, up. Speaking but of that, that's a you, cast though, man. That is a cast. You, it is uh, a cast. It's so cool. You have any? Is there a romantic connection between you and Aya's character in the movie? Well, you'll just have to see. No, I, I, I can, I can give that that one away. I wanted to make something not only that had the sort of financial boundaries of. Here's what I told myself. I said I want to do something in one location. I want to write to my weird talents, everything from I can squat down like a troll and do voices to like make soundscapes. It's mostly just the troll thing. By the way, a quick quick aside (laughs) before I forget, because I will for sure, is like you're... (laughs) There's like some video of you somewhere of you just doing like 8,000 impressions in one video. It's probably like 12. It's but it no, no, feels it's like but, way but more. It's, like, it's uh, like the guy behind you in line at Starbucks. Instagram they're, impressions, they're, basically. They're like right? vine, vine yeah, length yeah. impressions. They're, oh, yeah. um, uh, they, I do, I do little mini ones, but they're one offs. I've never done. But I don't, I don't th- even know if you compiled. Someone compiled. Oh, maybe it someone did. Yeah. And put it, and it's so good. Oh, thank you. And so I guess if I were you, I would watch that one, trying to figure out what oh, good I'm good God. at. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> everyone listening at home, if anyone on the internet has made a fan video of you, please Jeff. send it. Honestly, it was probably me to try to like get like editing it for JFL or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
anyway, my, my, my boundaries were again, or my limitations I'd sort of set for myself or the bullet points rather was I'm going to write this to my strengths. I want to cast a, an actress that never will take her clothes off, that will not exploit herself sexually or romantically and will do something she's never done before. Honestly, 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 a challenging work. She'll make herself ugly. She'll do slapstick. She'll do shit she's never done. She'll, it'll be multidimensional. And also at the same time, there, I, I was experiencing um, the Me Too sort of situation through friends of mine, conversations I was having online. The Aziz thing happened. Uh, Louis C.K., Dan Harmon, uh, Kevin Spacey, all of these kind of like heroes and pseudo heroes. And then female buddies of mine. I'm friends with a lot of feminist spokeswomen, just incredible women that I admire who've, who were outspoken about their trauma and their experience. And I just sort of said, I want to, I want to go after the fuckheads that I knew because some of the fuckheads that had put them in these sort of situations, these terrible situations, um, th- these are also the guys that I think I think bullied me in high school or I think ignore me when I'm trying to order a drink or also talk over me and us when we're trying to make a point or don't listen and just sort of go out of their way to push buttons and such. So I kind of wanted to, without necessarily playing someone who I couldn't empathize with, I did want to go after that kind of toxic male without being preachy and touch on the idea of a white guy, a male, being emasculated and f- and feeling diminished in the face of a woman's talent. And, uh, and that is something that I not only can identify sort of microcosmically and also just as like as a, as a, a, a man who's used to the privilege that I'm used to, but in the little tings when the female friends of mine are might, might be getting a little more ahead or doing a little bit better, et cetera, et cetera. And so like that morbid feeling as a writer and a filmmaker, like, wow, look at that little fire in my belly that's going, oh man, if only I could be, or how could she, or why is she? So let's exploit that. So that's that's a piece of why this whole thing happened quicker than if I just went, I want to make a movie about a guy in an alien in a house. Right. Um, yeah. you, you I, it's saying something. something. Yeah, you yeah. have to say something. It's kind of what I'm learning now. It's like, oh, if, if you don't say something, if it just becomes about a guy in an alien in a house, it's not... Wait, what about if there's time travel in there? I mean, <laughs> honestly, if it's yeah. about, uh, you know, Me Too, uh, I'm, they're all going to be Me Too time traveling movies and I'm, uh, it's going to be my brand. But I think, that's, I think that's just, again, part of why this whole thing went is because I, was, I felt something. Wait, writing. so that was, that was the kernel of the idea? like Essentially, yeah. I had, wanted to make something that was rewatchable, that felt almost Spielbergian and weird, that played to my strengths, that elevated an actress, and that, and that went after the dudes in this kind of... You started with a character, though, which it, that, that you felt like you could embody. I think I started with me sort of going, how do I do my troll and like 19 right. other quote unquote characters? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask though, because I think that I now really I want to see this movie now. You, you've been talking about this movie for a long time now, mm-hmm. right? And working on it for even longer. And so you really distilled down those bullet points very clearly, right? Mm. At what point do you feel like those four or five bullet points really crystallized for you and how far into the process were you you're staring at the blank page Mm. you're like what do i write 
was it like, okay, I'm going to start with these limitations and these ideas? Mm-hmm. Or were you working your way through it and then you, re- you kind of look back and you go, oh, that's what I was aiming at the whole time? I knew – that's a really good question. I knew sitting down because I'd also not only had my manager gone, you're going to do this. He sort of like put put the language out there. You got, you got to do it. You can do it. You have all these connections and all these buddies who are down to help. You know the crews and everything else. Had you written a feature before? Oh, yeah, several. Yeah, but n- n- more kind of in the 500000 to $10 million, $20 million range, not in the, in the kind of micro budget. And the micro budgets that I had written previous, the one or two and a half or one and a half that I had were so bad, like dating. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. The guy in the house there, with the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially for a married yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. What if it's about Tinder, though? Tinder time travel was hard to write because um, it didn't exist. Uh, but I, I think I'm trying to recall because it, it happened very, very quickly. Oh, interesting. I think part of it was on top of my manager and also reading Like Brothers, which is phenomenally inspiring, at least for a film nerd like me, if you Wait, guys haven't what? read it. You're Sorry. blowing your uh, your unpaid endorsement. Is that your endorsement? Yeah. It, could, it, it, it isn't my paid endorsement, but I will, I will fully endorse like Brothers by Mark and J. Duplass is so inspiring. It's a book? It's a book. How you have to, to nobody you have to read it. It was an unput endorsement for by sure. Who? I don't oh, know. Yeah, somebody. Sure. I'm sure somebody. I've never heard of this book. <laughs> it's, it's, it was like a year ago maybe, right? Yes, correct. We, we've been and the two, the two of them go through. Okay, well, it was probably a year and a half ago, and I think I read it in two days and then started writing this, this movie. Oh, wow. You know, I think that especially early on, I think people think about – how you have to have a fully formed idea before you hit that page, right? And I think that so everyone's process is different, right? Some people mm-hmm. are like, you know, these are the, the four goals I have, and mm-hmm. like I'm going to write a thing around that. And sometimes, and sometimes you just have to work through mm-hmm. a screenplay before you realize, oh, this is what I was aiming for the whole time. Yeah, you but know? people say fully formed idea before you type like interior, you know, fade in, right? I, what, what I'm Not saying before is I, you sit I disagree, page. actually. I think that I had a pretty serious dry spell writing wise because I thought that I needed to be outlining more thoroughly. And I realized that like my process is much more, um, vomit draft. Yeah. Vomit draft. Yeah. Just get it out there and then fix it. It's going to be bad. This is by the way, what Mark and Jay talk about in their books. Every, every other chapter is autobiographical and they were obviously, they run they a, a totally business. ripped that off from Grapes of Wrath, but yeah, go on. Yeah, they completely did. And Steinbeck, the Steinbeck <laughs> estate versus Duplass. I mean, California. Um, they talk about, uh, you know, Jay being frustrated that Mark t- is like the monkey at the typewriter fast. And Jay is like, I need every letter to be perfect and I can't keep up. And, and, mm-hmm. and yet when he's done, it's beautiful. And Mark is just more prolific and that, that kind of collision. Um, but I think... What I knew that I was angry about my my female friends being sexually harassed. I knew that I wanted to do all these sort of voices and characters, and I knew, and it basically came down to what's a quippy, fast, cut this thing off at ninety pages, well paced, rewatchable too. Was it just a word that came back? And maybe wait, maybe how do you make something rewatchable? Well. Easter eggs from being a commercial director and like having people go, can you make it viral? Like, how can we make it most viral? That ancient word. And also having success doing that. 
Yeah, and I think you know. also it's just us, like our taste, right. like 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 enjoying those kind of fun movies. We just get when we watch, I don't know, arachnophobia. We can pop arachnophobia on because of the pace and the even the the aesthetic and the music and the humor. It just has like a feel to it and a vibe. And I think I wanted to to kind of capture that Spielbergian. So rewatchable in that, not like Watchmen where you're like, you should probably rewatch this because you yeah, missed, yeah, you missed yeah. Yeah. a million Di- Digestible for sure. It's not about density, basically. Not at yeah. all, no. In fact, I, I think it's. I think it ends up being kind of a, <clears throat> a movie with a message disguised as a commercial movie, but shot for, you know, under $200,000. It was kind of the idea. So anyway, what, what was crystallizing was, well, this language, but to this banter between the two is quite quippy. Um, and... How can I showcase her and what, you know, bringing out an actress's talents and an opportunity with an opportunity she hasn't had before? And then myself, story contest. So it's essentially they're trying to outscare each other. So the movie ends up becoming about two people in competition. So it's like the catharsis and the frustration of the creative process. But ultimately, it's about she's better than me. And so that ultimately becomes the scariest uh, part of it. Cool. Yeah, man, that's yeah, pretty baby. good. That's really good. And now that I'm, uh, now that I made it, I think I'm kind of done. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like I've seen a trailer of it, but there probably I, one doesn't exist. I, but yeah, I think right? I just read a thorough description of Black it Christmas. on the Sundance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think on the yeah, when the movies were announced, I was like looking through them. I was like, oh, that's yeah, the worst yeah. thing about Sundance is that you're like excited about all these movies and none of them have anything that you can watch. Right, because it's like yeah, like there's some that have like trailers. I don't understand how that I works. I think they're like self-cut, and oftentimes they will be taken down uh, oh. because it's like oh, you, you know, the distributor wants to like make yeah. sure that it's fresh for whomever they're distributing it to. Yeah. You know, like these movies aren't going <clears> to <throat> roll out for you know a long while, right? Yeah. So you know they want to kind of control the the releases message. and the message. And oh yeah, that's stuff. a yeah. whole new thing with like. Now with Sundance and the Shutter thing, it's like uh, uh, we're suddenly like, ooh, let's take down the picture, the like rap pictures that we took, and we've sh- like DP and I excitedly, and also sure. Dan Powell, our producer, we all shared photos like right away, like look at what we just worked yeah, on. Yeah. That's and why then, you're making indie films so that you don't get in trouble for like sharing. I pictures know that from shit set. drives me crazy, but but in retrospect, I do like the idea. As a film goer, I like intrigue. And I'm not Jordan Peele, but I like when he releases a new poster. I agonize over it and go, oh, that one image or whatever. Honest, I'm obviously an unknown filmmaker, but I like the idea and the feeling of the fan-made picture posters or the intrigue. This movie has one image, you know, whatever. There yeah, are a few, but, but I mean, yeah. that's a, it's just, I think to me, like a, like a movie like yours, like I think of like The Farewell or I think of um, kind of other movies that came up kind of unexpectedly mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. it's like i want to see that movie because now i heard the director yeah. on a podcast that i listened yeah. to you know i like it's it's about impressions like i keep hearing about this mm. movie i see it on people's favorite movie list it's not like i'm seeing trailers for it on tv yeah, yeah. or a poster that is like posted on i think huffington post some of it comes out of like an old school pr mentality honestly because I, I always used to joke like no one has ever seen a photo on instagram and been like well i guess i I love Josh and we're friends, but now that I've seen this rap photo, I'm probably not going to see his movie. Like, oh, no one yeah, ever no, does that, no, no. right? Yeah. But I think like the era of being able to release exclusives and for people, you know, like diehard fans being able to like figure out like, oh, okay, well, I followed Aya Cash's, you know, Instagram account and figured out this and that and all, like all of that stuff. That's all the power that PR people have, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so even though 
it this kind of ephemeral stuff that's out there doesn't really mean much to the people who are regularly consuming it. I think that there are a few bad eggs out there that are in their enthusiasm are accidentally spoiling things for people. And so I think PR has become very reactive to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and so it's, it's easier just to say, take it all down and we're, we're going to control everything because we know none of it's up. Yeah. And honestly, it takes pressure off. And, you know, my my circumstance, I'm thrilled that Irony Point came aboard Dan Powell and Alex Box Company. And they were like, what capacity do you want us to be involved? That's literally the question that they asked. Let, at the let's talk about this. that a little bit because yeah. I think that they're an interesting company. Dan Powell, I always. Are these the distributors? They're the production company. So that yeah. made your movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that they came on before you shot. They came on before I shot. They were the Dan Powell basically said very early on the dude has an impeccable eye for talent, and um, he was a, at Comedy Central for years. Yeah, and then did the Amy He's Schumer a show. He did. A, He's like a, a producer, a showrunner, yeah. a director. Yeah, he he uh, he. Um, he was always one of the guys I looked up to is what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, did oh. he co- co-create Ugly Americans? Yeah. I think he did. Yeah, yeah. So he Based left off Comedy of, Central. off of an that. internet short. Yeah. Or internet series. Yeah. That I can't remember the name of now. But I it was a similar remember. sort of style. But basically, he was the kind of guy who was like, oh, build great relationships with talent. Yeah. Leave. Leverage all of the pre-existing relationships you have into an awesome career and then you get to do whatever you want and so yeah. he's just like making tv show after tv show and now movies and, he, all and his he he is one of we were talking about producers before we started rolling and there there are few producers that will have great taste that will deliver on their word that will you know that will not sell you a shit bill of goods and he delivered and are on available. his words and uh, yeah and that are available and and Dan, I mean, Dan told me, I, I think a year before I even started writing, he said, I want to produce your first movie. Um, I had a script that was at Monkey Paw for all of two seconds before the executive who fell in love with a previous project had, had sort of gone away. And Dan was like, Monkey Paw is Jordan Peele's company. Is Jordan Peele's company, right? And, and Dan got wind of that and was like, I want to be a part of your first film, whether it's this or whether it's something else. So I, I went to him when I sort of conceived of, of the of Scare Me, knowing that it was going to be a small resource film, that he'd um, produced Bridie Elliott's film, Clara's Ghost, and put a bit of money into it as well. I said, I, I can do this thing. I just threw out a number, to be totally honest. I said, I'm pretty sure I have an $80,000 movie. And he goes, 80000 How can you do that? And I was like... My buddy Brendan, my DP, who used to be my intern at College Humor, I've been doing short films with him for two years. He's did you guys do the Star Wars? Thing? We did. He did directed that, and he uh, and I wrote that or conceived of it with Charlie McQuaid, who put that together, who wrote it. Brilliant writer, friend of mine. And so I, good. I thank saw you. It, I randomly saw it on Dig, or someone was yeah. like, "Check out this insanely good Star Wars fan film." Yeah, we just Brendan and I like to just. Make stuff and along and with who our pays buddy. For something like that? Oh, we we pool money together. So it's it's my buddy Sean Derman, Brendan, and I. Brendan has the full camera package. He's a total tech dude, completely out of the realm of my understanding. But he goes, it started with him years ago. He goes, hey, write whatever and do whatever you want, and I want to shoot and direct something. Well, he's got like a five D Mark II. It, back th- I mean, we think we shot on his. Um, it was one of these smaller. Oh God, he'd kill me. Sony A seven S. Is that a small camera? Sure. Yeah. Little teeny. So, tiny so guy. we yeah. shot a cabin, which was a very small kind of thriller about me in a cabin going crazy, 
and he made it look beautiful. He shot it on the Sony A7S. He, I was like, okay, cool. I'll write it and star in it. You You're shoot like, it and edit bro, it. Bro, don't you need more lights? He, he, like, he no. had um, ice lights. They're like little light panels, and they're fucking awesome. They look like little lightsabers. Well, they're panels yeah. and the lightsaber lights, as I call them. But anyway, we, we'd been working together making these kind of shorts when he wasn't shooting for the dodo or for you know group nine branded videos he was dying just as i was dying at college humor to do a narrative thing so we'd done a few narrative shorts including the star wars thing and i went you got to shoot my first movie and he goes even if we can't get 50 grand on kickstarter which is where we talked about first getting the money we're gonna make this let's promise each other even if it's ten thousand of our own money and and we both take turns holding the boom and i said promise so we got into conversations with kickstarter with a buddy there who i think is no longer there because kickstarter did something shitty and laid off a bunch of people anyway we were like into that conversation talking about rewards and talking about like that strategy and that campaign and then dan kind of swept in and said i think we can i think we can find the money elsewhere especially since i well, you know, I offered since to, he sent eighty grand, right? Yeah, especially since I offered to take you know a fraction of that out of my four hundred one k, and I'm still waiting for the penalty. Ha! <laughs> and when you when you budget a movie eighty grand, and you're the director, do you take a fee? Do you get paid something? Uh, eventually, I will. The only thing I've been paid is my my SAG low low budget, sure, indie, like which is basically me, me one twenty five a myself. day. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. You made rent that month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the 14 days of shooting. Right. It was more than I thought it would be, but I paid myself. Yeah. It was strange. Yeah, Deferred everything else. That's nice. Yeah. So, uh, oh, sorry, real quick, just going back to the Dan finding money thing. Mm -hmm. How involved were you with that? And, and can you say what the final numbers ultimately were or the I, ballpark? I know it's under two. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we shot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Worth worth saying though, because under two million is still a small oh, it's, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the, I I don't know what the final number is. I know that it's it's at or below two hundred thousand. It's a very yeah. very very Wait, small and, movie. And Aya was she attached after you found the money or before? She was attached pretty early. Uh, that was I think the first step was let's get a cast attachment. So if it's the two of you, and then also we were trying to find our Carlo and our Bettina. That you know the the. You know Chris Red's role and 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 uh, Becky Drysdale's role, but Dan um, had a, Dan came on before cast. Dan came on, yeah. He was the yeah. first phone call I made, the yes. first email I wrote. Yeah. So and, that's interesting though, because that because it, it's a producer with a track record. I think there's a lot of people who would be like, oh, you know, SAG ULB one twenty five whatever MFN. Mm -hmm. No thanks. Our, Ninety Sorry. percent of our listeners don't know what you just said. <clears throat> uh, I. <laughs> SAG ultra low budget, which Merced is forward notions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more basically, no one's making any money. Is what I'm yeah. getting at. There's a bunch of jargon to say, hey, we all agree that no one's going to make. It's any an money. investment. So Dan, yeah. who's a who's a brilliant business person, goes, this would be no skin or very little skin off my back if I if I take a larger percentage of ownership of this film and go to some buddies and ask for a few grand here and a few grand there and we put this thing together and we just do it. Um, and we just put the dates on the calendar. I, I scouted houses on my own. I ended up finding the house we, we ended up shooting in on Instagram. It's like a, an Instagram Airbnb in my hometown in Woodstock where I also there, knew I wanted to there's shoot. There's not that many houses in Woodstock. You can uh, drive by all of them. Yeah. It's a small town. Yeah, yeah. it's a small town. You, have to, you had to frame out the naked mud 
people. Naked mud people. I had to. I had to kick out. Um, gave everyone a, what's called a speedball. I never <laughs> tried it, um, but it's killed many a comedian. But I know. I. Uh, I yeah. We we did a lot of, a lot of legwork. You know. Yeah, sure. In advance. Descriptive of yeah. a, of an eighty thousand dollar. Film, right, you know? right. Yeah, you're still in it to win it. Right? Wait, mm-hmm. can I? I want to just dig into the casting a little bit more oh, yeah. because I think a lot of our listeners, like a hundred thousand dollar first film, is like a sweet spot. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, most of them don't have your experience, but like, so you, I think like it's kind of you. You find this actress that is has a, a lot of accolades. People recognize her a lot. She has a lot of fans, but she's not like unattainable. You have kind of a personal relationship to her. And then you approach her with a script that has like a part that is like the most challenging part for an actor that you can that you have could come up with. Do you say to her, like, here's the start dates. Here's the end date. Do you show her a deck? Do you say this is why it's going to be good? Or do you just say like, hey, can I send you a script? I think I did show her a deck, but I think honestly, the first I can't remember the order of events. I'm, I'm pretty sure simultaneously to my completing writing the script i reached out to her and said hey if i if we did this thing when would you be available or if we did this i knew whatever dan could do it in january or i wanted to do it i think initially we wanted to shoot in october and i finished writing it i wrote it in like a week in april or something and i was like i want to shoot a movie in the fall then that movie then it got pushed and then it got pushed and, and were you rewriting pushed. and stuff at the time or not really no not and, really. and why did it get pushed how did it get pushed it got pushed because we were having trouble finding funds we only had um the amount that like dan had matched me personally um we and then we went into like one or two other pers- people personally i was writing to you know old bosses and saying hey i'm not sure if you you know fuck around Sam in the movie Rice. game yeah, exactly. What's your like, dad up to? like different, different, different buddies with connections to say, not sure if you know and so, but I, you know, whatever. They just wrote an article about me in Vulture. Uh, can you please give me? Um, so it, it was. It it took a minute, and I was getting frustrated. But when I I knew by the time, whatever Christmas hit, that that January was it was going to happen. And even then, we were working against the clock, like the SAG thing, the DGA thing, and everything. But yeah. when I came aboard, it made it more real. Then we went, okay, cool. Now we've got this like cameo role, this like three three day role, and we were like, was getting ridiculous suggestions for who that would be. And because I'm with ICM and Artists First, formerly Prince Potter Young, they, were, they suggested this brilliant newcomer to SNL, Chris Red, who I'd only seen in a couple of sketches, and they said, I guarantee you, he had just won an pop Emmy. star too, man. Exactly, pop star. He killed. He'd done Disjointed. You got to get him aboard. And we sat down at breakfast in Harlem and he, before he was taking his coat off, it was so moving. He goes, I love your script, man. I love it so much. Holy shit. It's so great. And uh, we we were just in it. I was like, I, well, I, I'm thrilled you think so. I'd love to have you any way, anywhere you want it. Killer. Yeah. It was That's cool. That's awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy. And now yeah. we're going to some dance. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted eyes on it. All, all yeah, the, yeah. All, the only goal was just to get it in the can. And now, and now, you know, you get that phone call. Yeah. Huh. Wait, wait, what point did you f- have like a pretty good feeling about the movie? Obviously you write it and you're excited and then you get, I, you get, you get good feedback on the script. Obviously I, Chris, Dan. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at what but, point but, are you like, this is, this could be something. And also candidly, like we have good friends who have made movies with people of that caliber that are great. Yeah, higher caliber. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, or, or more, 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 more A-list famous. type yeah, of yeah. people. 
Yeah. Like recognizable. That don't They're, everyone's great. I love ev- all yeah, yeah. Great, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I hear. Orin's saying everyone's very talented, but like <laughs> someone so whose star meter is right, lower. Right, right. Right. Which is a good thing. Right, yeah. Number one being the best. <laughs> Who didn't get into Sundance is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? I think again my uh writing angry helped me having something to say and i have i I, you know right from experience i have very little experience in this life i love to sit home and watch movies and you know i I usually don't socialize it's so fucking fun um so i honestly put that to work and also put my anger to work and what little personal experience i have of of you know of what i you know what 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 this film is and um i think that it just spoke to people and the fact that i have a producer who's a woman Alex Bach, she saw something in this film and in this situation identified with this character who ends up in this terrible situation or this precarious situation at the end of this film where she goes, we have to get behind this. We have to get the money. We have to, I mean, she fought for this movie tooth and nail in such an incredible way. I owe her, I mean, you know, every, I mean, I I owe Dan the moon, but like Alex was like, no, I'm, I've been in this position as a woman. I know what this is. And she was able to go to bat and say, you know, Wait, this did, movie has to be seen. She loved the ending, you're saying. She loved the ending. And, you know, it's funny. I actually, I can say this. Um, I had a conversation. I, th- th- this might be, just be a hollow to say because I'm not, obviously not going to give away the ending. But we went to Ray and his company to get some money. I said, I'm not going to get in on this movie with you. Uh, but uh, he suggested why an alternative ending to what I'd written would be better. And I was very resistant to it and ultimately came around to changing the ending because I had this conversation. So he is in the very special thanks in this film. And um, and ultimately, I think it ended up, I've gotten feedback on the ending. Oh, thank God you didn't go that route. Um, so when you guys see it, we can we can talk about you, it again. Do you feel like the your original ending was a little more traditional, like a, a Kiva Goldsman style, like, Give them what they want, but not the way they wanted I think, it. I think so. It. I and think then so. he just kind of like, yeah, gave you. It's like your ending now is not what people are expecting. Yeah, there's the Sopranos ending, which is not. You know, no one will be frustrated. Hopefully, that the lights, you know, shut out um, five whole seconds, five pregnant seconds before the credits. But, uh, but it's it's certainly more nuanced, and it's just um, it's just a lot. It's a lot more layered, and and uh, ends up positively in the hands of of who the film should end up in you know so because going um, back to like what matt was saying earlier about like looking at the blank page and like you know a lot of people are like don't start writing until you kind of have an idea of what the movie is and the this other podcast that i really enjoy script (laughs) notes they always say like you don't need to know anything except for the ending just like know where you're going and they have a lot of conversations about where you're going to but i feel like there's this trend and you kind of touched on it in the last few years where where a movie is going isn't quite as important like where a movie ends isn't quite as important as the thing that it's about you know like the message and like even Micah a guest we just had a couple weeks ago that wrote A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood Hmm. and he was writing on Transparent and he kind of said this thing that really resonated with me that he said I don't care about dialogue I'm not picky about scene direction I don't even care like that much about who the characters are what the the order of the story is I just am trying to capture a feeling, like a mm. big feeling in each scene. And mm-hmm. like if, if he's like, because on Transparent, I guess they got rewritten like a million. He would said they would write 300 pages for an, a 30 minute and episode. They'd rewrite in the middle of a scene. They would have shot half of the coverage already and reblocked oh, things. 
crazy. But like just in, you know, if you you're thinking traditionally, like something you wouldn't do because it would ruin the scene. Basically, yeah. they would do all the time. Yeah, I think they do. They did things very differently than tradition. I have a friend yeah. who shot a couple episodes, and he said they he. Had to go to a drum circle before he could shoot his episode. <laughs> oh. But but Excellent. the thing that he learned that he passed on to us is that it's a, like about this feeling. Like make the scene be about something is more important than like the detail, the the very specific details. Which maybe the very specific details are, are part of what it, it's at. It is, but to me, obviously, we haven't seen your movie, but it must be good because of who's made it and where it's premiering. And it's just so interesting to me that like the ending is something that like came about after you'd already like attached cast, after you'd already shown it to people, after you already got big producers and and then you change the ending to something else, which to me is kind of indicative of like maybe you don't have to have the perfect ending when you start writing your movie. No, I mean, you know, look at look at Jordan Peele, his test audience situation for what Get Out ended up being. You know, he made oh, it. I don't know about that. that. Well, the, originally, I think Dan, Daniel's character went to jail. It just ends with him oh. sitting in a fucking prison cell and, and then the door closes or something. The I main haven't, guy? The main dude. They, he gets arrested. So you're <laughs> supposed to go, you still go, oh, no, the cops are here, which is the brilliant... Right. Right. You know, flip. But then there's this dark ending where he's sitting in prison. And everyone yeah. goes like, no, come on. Like, like yeah. let's let's get his mo fucking TSA dude. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they went back in and, and they reshot, you know, that triumphant ending. And I'm... I'm oh, wow. That is to, a totally different ending. Yeah, absolutely. And he'd been working on that fucker for, God, five years or yeah. four years and was sending it around. To, you know, um, I know uh, Phil Jackson, who's a brilliant writer of mine. He works on, on oh, yeah, sure. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. yeah, and he was saying, I, I read the early version of that. And it was it, there was always something to it. And he clearly was feeling it that you know in that script and eliciting feeling. And he was writing from a place of, right. you know. Well, you see experience. the poster. You know, it's like the guy... Two like African American guys, but one guy's like putting out a fist, a fist bump, and the other one like tries to shake his hand, <laughs> yeah. and that's like that it's is like so it's so good the yeah. core yeah. of that movie, and you're like it doesn't really yeah. matter how it starts or how it ends yeah. if you get to that. Well, and I think you know you were saying before Josh, you know you wrote that first draft in a week, right? You were just like oh yeah, on couldn't, fire, couldn't stop, couldn't that's stop. Like when you know that feeling, we all know, yeah. and uh, that's a speedball talking that way. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but but I think what's important to me about that because I think sometimes it's going to take you a week to write a script. Sometimes it's going to take you longer, and that's Years. all okay, yeah. right? But the point is, is like just get out of your own way, right? So like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe you don't know the ending yet, or maybe you write the wrong ending, and then you start <sighs> making the movie, Preach. and it's still the wrong ending. Absolutely. That's okay. It's okay. Like just just continue to work on it, continue to make it better, be open to notes that you maybe don't want to hear. Yeah. And eventually it'll get there. Yeah. That's the Joss Whedon school of thought. I think he wrote that brilliant article that was just that included advice similar to don't quote me, get the barf draft out, get the blueprint out so that then you can rework it. He also talks about dessert first. Which is a thing. Oh, interesting. He like writes whatever the most fun scene is. He writes that first, but also literally he will eat dessert while he's 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 doing it. Well, he's also very wealthy. I can't afford to do that. (laughs) Yeah, he can't afford to have Sunday first. Just like before, like just the act of literally sitting down at the the word processor or whatever he writes on it. I was going to say typewriter. When he's sitting down Mm -hmm, to write, mm -hmm. he literally gives himself a treat just for sitting there. Right. Not even like. 
well, I'll get that slice of cake if I hit page 20. Yeah. No. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make Sitting this enjoyable and it's to its means fullest. I earned cake. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's rad. That's yeah. why yeah. I, I do most of my writing at the Korean spa. Yeah. yeah. I like to get a massage. <laughs> and that's why I'm 6,000 pounds. <laughs> um, well, one other thing. So just, I guess, the other thing that is really interesting about your movie and the source of the idea is, I mean, this is about me too specifically, like, I mean, obviously I have thoughts and emotions and things regarding that whole thing and, and everything that's happening in our industry. But I always feel like it seems like it's my turn to like sit on the sidelines and listen mm-hmm. and not say what I think. Like, you know, you see the Matt Damon stuff that happened with Project Greenlight and his other thing, you know, just. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you found an angle in that's not oh yeah offensive, i'm so I guess. excited to i'm a little nervous but i'm excited to get up there and talk about not specific moments when i felt x y and z but that i call it that that morbid curiosity in myself where i notice those little those little devilish whispers and i went and and me sort of going not only do i want to bring that out in this character i want you to empathize with him and you to like him for these two people to both be imperfect but ultimately for this ending to – I wanted to capture a situation that most women find themselves in at the end of a night at a party or a bar or whatever when they're alone with a dude and they don't know if he's going to punch or kiss or touch or you know, ex- or, or just um, kind of roughhouse. Wait, and just to be clear, is Aya the character that is – the woman that you're talking about, or are you? The oh yeah, character? yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, in in the in the in your in movie, the film, yeah. but and yeah. also as a clarification, that morbid curiosity you're talking about, you're saying basically that you have felt feelings that you're uncomfortable with, right? Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and that, or it, yeah. I'm trying to be delicate, but basically, no, like yeah, th- yeah. Th- things that aren't you aren't maybe the most proud of, or or the, you're, you're saying like, oh, I'm jealous of this person, right? Or right, like. Right. You know, those little twinges of like feelings that, like I said, you aren't proud of maybe. And exploiting yeah. that oh, yeah. in relation to the Me Too movement in general. Like the the, the tiny little right. moments where you don't like yourself because you relate to a person who maybe acts on terrible impulses. Less so for is me that accurate when or no? it relates to, uh, partly, it's less so as it relates to harassment uh-huh. um, and more so because I was raised mm-hmm. by a lioness mom, sure, you sure. know, a sister, a very right. docile dad and several like very, you know, strong aunts. So I, I, I learned from a young age to, to respect women and I don't have a problem being sort of, you know, like, like in, in their company, in their like very talented towering company and presence. A lot of men do. And as a, as a shorter, you know, hairy, awkward kid (laughs) who smelled like pepper, um, you know, and, and always wears gym clothes. Oh, oh, dude, for those of you, if you know, you know, um, I, I I just, just, uh, creating color. I saw in in the dudes who bullied, who talked over, who I was always the quiet kind of observer, and I was also a creative in this life. So observing what I observed and having friends that were mostly women and what they sort of kind of being there alongside their experiences, I was also a creative person who've had, I've had multiple creative partners. I've written scripts with several different people 
Some have been easy. Some have been incredibly you're difficult. You're polycreative is what you're saying. Polycreative, but also like I've been in, a, I, I know the competitive process and the toxic competitive um, collaborative process very, very well. So the personal side of it for me, not only in the, the twinge of those feelings about women in particular who have advanced in life, it also has to do with the, um, that sickly feeling of being diminished and the, the kind of toxic lean towards like, right. oh man, if only I could have been, you know, sure. in that position, how I would make it better. Or I would do you know, all those kind of, you know, the devilish thoughts. But, but just as equal is the topic of creative diminishment is so interesting to me, especially with gender politics and gender dynamics. So combining that, I mean, I'm getting like giddy kind of talking about it because we don't talk about this specific thing enough. We're talking about me too. We're talking about the, the power dynamic, but when you flip it and in, in, in the face of a powerful, talented woman, most Men become, mm-hmm. you know, quite right. toxically diminished like when, how do you when they feel diminished. Those feelings, absolutely, yeah. Because you're so used to being at a point, yeah, of yeah, in a privileged, a privileged yeah. position, yeah. And it's yeah, yeah. it's fascinating to me. It I, makes I, me I squirmy as well. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it should be, and I'm so excited. I want to ask. You know, I have, um, I can't imagine that you know they would yet listen. But friends like Liz Plank. Um, who's a terrific author who just wrote for the love of men, um, you know, about how men are raised to Phoebe Robinson to Vera Papasova used to be the, um, health and wellness editor at Vogue. I want to go to these, these guys and basically ask them to moderate if, if, you know, scare me kind of does the ranks because there's that gender politic conversation that I would love to forum, you know, if we, whatever tour with it or, you know, kind of, you know, through the festival circuit, that's a, it's a. It's a conversation I'm so excited to have, or at least to just explore and sit there and squirm myself sure, too. Yeah, you know, That's yeah, cool. yeah, so fascinating. I have two more questions about scare me. Okay. Maybe we should just hint at your upcoming project too. Oh yeah, I'll answer um, what I can answer for show. But uh, who edited the movie? Patrick Lawrence. He's he's brilliant. I really wanted a woman editor, not to sound like Matt Damon, best person for the job, all right? <laughs> best person for the job. But I, I really wanted uh, the female perspective, especially in the edit. We're dealing with sensitive stuff at certain certain moments, and I was like kind of hemming and hawing about even even though we're low budget, even though you know these great dudes are available, I really, really, really wanted um, a female editor. And it sat down with uh, and had a great uh, interview with one, and she had to dip out for, frankly, a, a better gig. So at some point I was like, okay, I got to get this thing done. And the feedback I'd gotten about Patrick, especially from some buds who um, are in the LGBTQ plus community were like, Patrick is edited for me and he's stellar and empathetic and sensitive and fantastic. When I met him, I was like, oh yeah, I get it. He's also edited, I think I'm his sixth or seventh Sundance project. So he just is like the sure. magic, magic editor. Wow. But I mean, he was phenomenal. And do, did office. he bring, I mean, this is a dumb question because obviously the answer is yes, but how did he make the movie a Sundance movie, you know, like, like what element is like, is it in the kind of subtlety nuances of like music and transitions and cuts, like kind of editing stuff? Is it big story things, rearranging the movie? Like, like how much of this movie becomes like this amazing festival movie in post? Because so much is shaped in post. I mean, I'll just say his taste 
I, I can articulate only so much if I go to coffee with an editor like I did with P, with uh, with Patrick and say, I love Killing of a Sacred Deer and how Yorgos Lanthimos holds on tableaus and on shots and on <clears throat> these kind of squirmy, awkward moments and that awkward, irregular feeling. I love that. And he, him just kind of taking that philosophy and not only applying that to certain shots where he knows I hate overcutting, I hate cuttiness, and I like shooting economically, which is what I can address just to, just sort of hint at about my next right, because project. Because storyboard every cut. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> every, every line is, is, a, is a shot. But he um, his taste, he knew philosophically Josh likes to kind of hold on this, that, and the other thing. But he also knows, having had several features in festivals before, if the cut comes in at one hour and 58 minutes, this he goes, I, my heart dropped when he said, this thing's going to have to get a half an hour cut out of it. And I said, well, there's that's impossible. 30 and minutes. 30 minutes. Uh, wow. when, when the first cut, because it came yeah. in just under two hours. I said, no, it's not. And he goes, no, no, it, it will. And then sure enough, like one 12-minute scene, we shot 17 pages in one day. It was mostly one side. Got cut down to like a minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah. And it's great. And the story still works. The story works beautifully. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's great. That was the, the my one scene that was like the trouble scene is now a minute and a half. And he and I sort of, you know, we, we didn't fight over it, but he was very passionate about the direction. I mean, he was, he was absolutely genius. I mean, it's almost always better, shorter. That's oh, the brutal truth, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's just like writing. You can, you can write furiously for three hours or edit furiously for three hours and think it's absolutely genius gold and then walk away. And a week later, you come back and go, this is all shit. Let's change it. Etc. 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 So it really, I can't remember who said you know that a movie really like you have to sit with it. It has, it has, it, it moves and it's a living mm-hmm. thing and it changes and you have to sit with it. It really, really, really is. It changed every time I watch it. Down. I have, I have a, a question yeah. that's a, a relatively large step backwards, but yeah. I'm going to ask it anyway. Or you inspired me in the same way that like, oh, what what does a editing a Sundance movie look like? What is shooting a micro-budget Sundance movie look like? How big's your team? It, it, and How quickly are you shooting? Oh, yeah. And my other question is how are you lighting it? this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which might, you can, might help shape your answer, which is like, why a single location? Budget. Single location is budget. So you, you sort of say, we're going to minimize our company moves. Every move costs money. That's lunch for the crew in every way. Loading in and loading out. Loss of money, loss of time. But do you not get scared of that like film school look like it's two people against a white wall in an apartment terrifying but i will say the location that we found the location is a character within itself and the the more the more committed these characters get to the stories the more committed they are to the stories that they're telling they're essentially improvising stories the more they sort of manifest and they're transforming these locations into other locations not into other locations it's this is a sound designer's movie this is a composer's movie so the more they come to life there's shadow play there's music there's sound design if you're talking about the vampire there's briefly the glint in your eye you hear footsteps upstairs and the howling wind and etc etc so it feels like a big horror movie or like they, that's the goal, but it's just two people going, you know what I mean? Sure. And, I, and I'm writing yeah. to the fact that I can go, you know what I mean? So, which makes it probably a Sundance movie. It's like, ooh, it's so specific and nuanced and blah, 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 blah. So one location, a lot, a lot of it is budget. The other piece of it is because I was starring in it and I had a phone call with Jim Cummings kind of terrified two weeks out. I said, how the fuck do you star in it? 
you're in every scene and you direct it and he goes, you like know, the one script, shot per scene. Right. Well, the way he did it was one shot per scene. That wasn't how I did, but I get why he did it. Were but you one said, camera? Single camera? Single camera. And again, economically, I knew the each scene I sort of broke down like with my dense ass brain like a play. Okay, well, I'm mostly going to be here. When I get up, we'll be on Dana Dolly. I move over to the side of the wall, which we rarely see. When she's sitting right here, she's on the floor. And when I go up the stairs, we're just above her head. So... I know that I'm not just going to be moving the camera back and forth. We were real specific about, we're going to make this play, we're going to shoot the shit out of it, but also not make it super duper film school cutty or what have you. When you say shoot the shit out of it, you mean you're going to cover every scene? Not that we're going to cover every scene with, with, with a bunch of coverage, but that the shots are going to be cool to look at. They're going to be nice and interesting and punchy for your brain. The same way I thought about wardrobe. If this house is wood paneled walls and she's wearing a brown sweatshirt, that doesn't work for my brain. But if she has something with a pattern and then changes her shirt halfway through the movie, it's almost like a costume change. Same thing with me and the wardrobe I have. A nice blue with a gray and a beige pant would look nice with the knowing that this place is mostly dark with blue moonlight with mm-hmm. orange light thinking about as a moviegoer those little nuanced things like my brain is going to get tired of watching the same two people in yellow sweatshirts the whole movie or whatever so that was a place that I went sort of go how can I keep someone like mine's brain Working and alive and not wanting to look away because it's so God, I'm staring at two. How am I going to make two people for 90 minutes interesting? So it's like that also being a piece of it. How you do it in 14 days days, is your actress is only available for nine of the 14. So I had to Tetris scenes constantly. There was one scene we kept coming back to because I shot it without her. And it's massive. The first story. Um, Wait, so I when you read, say you shot it without her, you mean you didn't shoot her coverage and shot everything else? Correct. We plugged her in. So I acted yeah. the thing full out for her and the way that I direct. Wait, um, so you had like somebody read her lines? Yeah, my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Lauren Lauren was Lauren Sick, who's a brilliant director, by the way. She just directed the new Respect trailer teaser. You should check it out. She was reading opposite me. And I was acting the shit out of it on my side in front of the whole crew. And it's it's that you were asking about what a Sundance micro budget crew looks like. It looks like nine dudes, mostly dudes looking back up at you, scratching their heads or just sort of watching (laughs) like as the director slash boss slash producer slash writer actor is throwing himself around a loft like a werewolf. And then and then stopping going, do we get anything? Okay, keep the rope, Brandon. Okay, cool. Okay, Ren. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it, it probably was entertaining for them, and at least that's what my experience of it was of their experience when they watched me tech because I basically acted out the whole thing without making it like the Josh show, but here's where we're going to do this. Here's where we're going to do that. And I think I might have interrupted you, but what, what did Jim Cummings say was the answer to acting? Jim said, no, no, right. the script inside and out, no, all your lines, which I did not know. There was one or two days when I was totally flummoxed for whatever reason. I think we had to wrap early one day because of a blizzard. Um, uh, we, we loaded in late because a, a van slid into a ditch. There so were just like little production things I was getting preoccupied with where I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be. But he said, know the thing inside and out. And one thing I'd like to do is record the whole thing as a podcast, like as an audio file so that I hear the movie, which I did. And just your, I never just your listened, part. Yeah. I never listened to it 
but I did Thanks, do it. Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Did you I hear his idea. episode of our of just shoot it? Ooh, no, I'm gonna listen though. Oh, you must have done the, it right after. One of the first. It was when he had Thunder Road the short at Sundance. Oh, oh yeah. man. I don't and, think it. Had, the movie had been made yet. No. Oh damn. Yeah. And well, he, he said back. that he was working at College Humor, and every day as he was driving to work, he would just recite that monologue I mean that movie is just him talking right mm-hmm. he would just recite the monologue in his car and, and like change little things and work on it and he said like everyone in the cars next to him must have thought he was crazy yeah but he just like every single day he acted out like on the way to yeah. work on the way back from work this monologue so by the time it came to shoot it it was like you know knowing the lines yeah. knowing his choices was not something he had to worry about on set yeah, yeah, that's that's brilliant. That's part of the move because you also, by the time that we shot, everyone was like, "You must have been so stressed out." I was staying at my mom and dad's house, eight minutes from set, with the DP and the first AD. My mom insisted on making like even if we wrapped at ten thirty and we were home at eleven or ten thirty-five or whatever, she, there'd be food, and she'd want. Of course, there's my parents are so excited and so supportive. They want to know everything, and I'd be exhausted. Sure, sure, and you'd like, be like, Mom, Mom stop yeah, asking me how I go. And um, and I I would go to set every day, and Brendan knew every shot because we talked about this movie ad nauseum. We shot listed mm-hmm. it a month and a half out. We change it as we went. I'd act it out. He'd shoot shit on his iPhone. We'd go to the maze. We'd rehearse with Aya. We'd rehearse with Chris. We'd read through it. We'd read through it. We'd read through it. Read through it the night before, just my girlfriend and Brendan and I, before we shot the whole movie. The whole movie. I mean, it was like a really magical Duplassian indie indie experience. Down to the you know the the pipes being frozen in the crew house the first day, it being the, you know so there's there's a toilet bowl full of shit. We had to pour Avion down the bowl <laughs> to flush it. The script supervisor is helping me flush the toilet. There's no hot breakfast because it costs too much. There's just muffins and bagels and coffee and well on that note change because I I shot once in New York in up, upstate New York oh and. Boy. We got, I think we got hooked up with some food, but like for our listeners that are shooting like in their hometown, that's not LA or New York city or Chicago. But what was, did you have any hookups? Like in terms of feeding the crew? Uh, I recommended honestly a couple days because I'd mentioned that it was going to be an extra thousand dollars, maybe a week to have hot eggs every day or something, which I ended up taking out of my paycheck, my non-existent paycheck. Um, because you got to have hot, Food, especially when you're shooting in. Again, our first day was the coldest day in eight years when we shot. Um, Which is what, like below zero? Oh yeah, I think we we, the first day was like 14 below or something crazy, and it was it was the process (laughs) trailer day, quote unquote, which is just like a like a a tow truck pulling our car, and it was it was nightmarish to watch people who hadn't been able to take a hot shower that morning or the night before (laughs) just like rig shit onto a piece of ice. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, and I believe me. The day I found out about Sundance, I called the large, especially the the crew members who were out there getting bit, as they called it, which is you know grip for electrocuted um, and uh, freezing. Not funny. Uh, you know, like yeah. I, I called and said, "We got only the in. grips get electrocuted. The electricians." Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I obviously should have said. Let me ask how you deal with talent in a circumstance like that, right? Like, I think. You know, because it's one thing to get people to come out for cut rate and cool opportunities and all that stuff. But, like, it's another thing to be like, and also there's not a trailer or, like, a honey wagon or fancy crafty or even your glam team or 
organic fabrics for your wardrobe or but you know what i mean there's all those other things that kind of add up that make a movie really expensive that aren't just their day rate you i mean know? you're probably telling them that like hey this is a low budget movie when you meet with chris when you meet yeah, with but, aya right but, oh yeah they, but they've they also been do. on huge tv shows oh yeah for years at this point, I guess. And Chris also, maybe, tiny, tiny movies. Sure, both of true. them, both yeah. of them. And and Aya's thing was, hey, I'm local. She's got a place upstate. Oh. Okay. Um. So I, if I get to do a movie with my friend and I get to go home every night, I don't give a fuck about the money. If it's fun, um. Of course, she ended That's up. That's like, pretty you crucial, know, though, being able to go home. Being able to go home is is yeah. a big thing. Like if if she was staying, there was one night we had a blizzard, and Chris and I had to sleep on couches in my living room, in my 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 home living room. And luckily, we all are like you know besties. Because there aren't um, there aren't hotels in Woodstock, right? There aren't hotels. We had um, crew house. She was local. I was local. And um, Chris stayed at a, a local spot that he was like. This seems like a prison cell. Maybe I could just stay at your place. <laughs> yeah. He just ended up like not yeah. liking it. And I think, you know, we had a big storm roll in and we just ended up being way happier to stay at. And you have a, place. did you have a makeup people? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hair we had makeup. funny enough, Erica Pierce, who was my last minute phone call to shoot a short film I did called Freddie Daryl New Year's Eve, maybe three years ago. She mostly does weddings and some film stuff at the time. And now she's like, she works on all this stuff upstate she's doing the next film as well and she was awesome everybody loved her thank god because to me that's like i mean it especially with like female actors like oh yeah uh, if you are just have a makeup artist or even preferably a hair and makeup person and the male actors too but you're just showing them like hey i want i'm gonna commit to some resources to you for you to look good to feel good mm-hmm. and to like have and you have a person that's literally like welcoming them in in the morning and, yeah. and telling them Touching what to do face. so that you don't have to say like okay come here you can sit there you can do this it, there it's literally a crew position to like welcome the actors it and, is yeah. Um, yeah and and make you less and give them routine as well it's like oh we know what yeah, to do like, yeah you know when you friend. sit with me yeah. there's gonna be I always had my phone like playing like chill music you know like come in listen to Fleet Foxes or some you know uh, some Neil Young and get your face touched. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I had like a five person crew, I'd try to make one of those people a makeup artist just yeah. to, especially if I'm working with kind of more experienced actors that, that are aware of that. You know, the big position. thing about a makeup artist too, that Erica has zero ego is they just got to be laid back. Cause sometimes, and I'm not saying I did this, but sometimes your actor is going to go like, I'm I just, let me just do this myself, especially right. actresses. Sure. And your makeup artist sometimes can have an ego about it. You know, or an attitude. You catch an eye roll, God forbid. Erica is so easy and so cool, and that's what's so great about her, that everybody loves her. And, uh, and She lets just, all the actors do their own makeup. She yeah, she's just it. like, my God. So she brings a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes up a lot of sparse. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like we can't end the interview without talking about your next project, which we touched on in our Natalie Metzger interview uh, a few episodes ago. She saw a test screening of Scare Me and then uh, thought that you might be a good fit for another project at her production company, Vanishing Angle. And now you pitched on it and you got it. And it's a much bigger movie. Yeah, I was so reluctant to pitch on a, whatever, $5 million movie with Ubisoft's name on it. Like I, I looked at it and said, a video game movie? Absolutely not. I want my next thing to just be a little bit of a level up from Scare Me. I was resistant to the idea of the bigger movie. And the fact that Natalie Metzger was attached, the, the fact that like Greener Grass's producer, Natalie, who had done Jocelyn and Don, Don Luby's uh, 
And she's also um, doing Jim Cummings next movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they just she just wrapped the, that uh, the beta test. The fact that Vanishing Angle was attached, I was like, okay, so we have a Sundance Darling production company with Ubisoft, and it's also smaller. You're not talking about a thirty million dollar movie. Let me just see what it's about. I read the script. Holy shit, it's super funny. It's really good. Um, there was an option for me if I were to come aboard to polish it and kind of make it more my own. So. The advice when I went in and pitched, I made a keynote presentation and um, not unlike a commercial treatment. Not unlike a commercial treatment. Yeah. I I don't I don't normally do my own. Uh, I write my own treatments, but I don't design them. So I just, in a terrified fashion, kind of figured out keynote. It was actually very easy and great. Um, highly recommended. And plugged my computer in and you know siphoned through these images and. Uh, How many pages? Oh God! I think I want to say like fifty-eight, and a lot of like full-page images. A lot of full-page images, and uh, I'm going through this thing too in a conference room with three executives and one of the producers, Matt Miller from Vanishing Angle. So I'm I'm terrified. So I'm I'm just meeting these people for the first time. But you'd rehearsed this presentation. I'd read through it. Um, I'm pretty good on my toes. I I just knew if I could get in, just like any pitch, if I could get in on a personal level that that then it kind of rolls from there and the other thing was i said if this movie isn't good i'm not just going to pitch on it for a paycheck or an accolade it has to i have to see it so the, the my advice to anyone pitching ever and certainly what i did is just pitch the movie that you want to make and be super adamant about it and then if you don't get it too bad sure, and right. whatever because but don't pitch you, the movie you think they don't want pitch it. the movie like, you think because then you'll be locked into it and they'll say well you promised that they were going to have big smiley faces and funny sombreros <laughs> um <laughs> and uh i i got it because i just i saw it and i, I like it it's a movie it's a movie that i i'd like to make i can i can tell you it's a basically a comedy ensemble whodunit. Um, the fact that Knives Out just came out makes me very, very sure. scared. <laughs> because it's the best one in recent uh, Knives are back years. in, don't worry. Knives are back in. They're not out. It's not Lee's Kill List, right? That's it's not project. Lee's Kill List. That was uh, a long, long dead pilot presentation. And not Damn a Ubisoft. <laughs> IMDb Pro account I just paid for. It. <laughs> no, it's worthless. It's, it's, really, it's really cool. So I'm learning all kinds of shit about how slow casting can take, how reluctant actors are to come aboard when you're an unknown director, uh, oh, <laughs> regardless well, how, of the fact. I, I'm interested in that because I feel like I've been attached to a few features that mm-hmm. went nowhere because we were, we just had trouble casting them. And to be honest, some of them I was not super passionate about. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, totally hey, write a letter to this actor and we're going to send them the script. And you're like, and I've I, loved you since. Yeah. <laughs> MDB, scroll, I love you since scroll. House of Cards. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that anyway, so, but I've thought like, if I was really into this project, like what would I do to get an actor? Cause I know an actor doesn't know me. So why would they trust me to yeah. direct them and to make something like, do you send the actors scare me? Do you say, I mean, now you can say like the Sundance film, you don't, they don't even have to, watch the movie they do actually i mean it, there there's still a fear if you're an actor and you know that the the title of the movie has a may or may not have a creature's name in it uh so it's like when you when you're hearing about 
<laughs> Lauren just turned to his laptop. <laughs> when you're hearing about resolved. a genre movie <laughs> yeah, and, and an unknown an unknown director, despite the fact that their their first movie just got into Sundance, you still have to have a phone call. Those bigger actors are less likely to talk to you. Luckily, what's happening now is it's busy out there. There's Quibi, there's HBO Max, there's you name it. So what's happening is I'm able to go to, we're able to take what they call the big swings. Wouldn't it be crazy if we got whatever, Nicolas Cage to cameo in this thing. And then ultimately, I'm friends with terrific actors, some of which who aren't, available but at least i can write them directly and say hey would you would you be available to come do this thing so so that's been a really exciting thing for me to bring to you know a company like ubisoft and to say hey you know i I can reach out to this is cool yeah yeah, these people could be right yeah yeah Yeah. well i think cool yeah i gotcha i think that especially with the indie 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 version of casting i think that so often it just comes down to personal relationships. It's just like, who do you know? Who can you it get totally to? It totally is. Who can vouch for you, basically? My big anxiety about this movie isn't special effects. It isn't the fact that it's one of the bigger jobs I've ever done. I've worked on some big stuff. But it's it's an ensemble of 8 to 12 actors. So my my whole thing is personalities i'm having our casting director is gail keller she's unfucking real she does what we do in the shadows and movies and tv shows great new york casting director but the casting director doesn't really cast your nicholas cages they're pretty integral what i'm learning you know i mean their connections are major they vouch for you as a director they vouch for the team they can they can gut check you know they um, also have leverage like oh you don't want to mess with gail like she's great you know yeah like, well, she's yeah. Gonna, she's gonna do another movie down right. the line maybe they she'll want you to push to have you yeah. in the right. next taika watiti show right. or whatever right. exactly. but gail has to be like josh rubin is incredible i just saw his movie you just right. gotta meet him his energy is infectious she's gotta like sell you she has to sell but they're listening to that first pitch from her because she is who she is right correct you if you have an email coming in from gail keller you you should listen you listen up so it's it's been fascinating to just you know we have a grid of actors and i get to go like oh let's try this big person whose movie i loved yeah you know recently like you know Michael Shannon, let's is, sure. and then you find out if Michael Shannon's and says a veil next to Michael Think Shannon's name. Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Evans. Oh my God, Don. <laughs> yeah, John Don Johnson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Plummer. Boy, that is a good cast. Um. <laughs> God, when we got yeah, Lakeith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So funny. That's the cast of Knives Out. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just the together. name of the movie. This is like you uh, got it. A game show. Yeah, we figured it out. Start um, naming me cast members and I'll guess what Instead movie of you're ding, 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 it's shink, shink, shink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The sounds sheath, of knives. Sheath removal. Sheath, sheath, sheath. Rem- yeah, right. That wave. Um, but yeah, well, man, it's I'm, the only thing I'm nervous about is just wrangling eight people, eight personalities. So what I was going to say about Gail is I've been... Um, my policy is no assholes. The biggest thing is that with the actors, with with the with the actors. So it's like ideally, I'm I'm pulling in buds. But if there's those some actors I don't know, or if we go to the bigger swing, my first question to Gail is, do you hear they're cool? Are they cool? Are they a good person? I don't like strong personalities in general. I, I don't take that the wrong way. I yeah, can't. You want to be the only one. Big egos. Yeah. Yeah. Just I just don't do it. Yeah. So. 
yeah, I, I think that's why we all pick our tribe, sure. you know, as, as we, like Natalie was talking about, you know, like the, why we keep pairing up with the same actors right. when we work and direct yeah. stuff. So that's, that's going to be that, that'll be the next adventure is like, okay, cool. Wrangling all the, all my actor cats. Well, That's Josh, cool. we are so excited for you. An easy tip, like a quick tip, is that if you just tie all their shoelaces together, <laughs> they have to tr- they have to work as one. SAG Insurance <laughs> just called and said, um, the nine noses that just broke, it's going to cost you the budget. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So, you know, we had uh, Ted Sim on the podcast a while ago. He's uh, also a filmmaker and has revitalized Film Riot. And he also owns a lighting company, Aperture Lighting. And he hooked me up, I mean, with a little bit of a discount on the Aperture 120D Mark II and the Light Dome II. They're, they're great. I just got them. But basically, I wanted to get like a really nice LED light to help to shoot. My wife puts herself on tape all the time. And I have these two crappy lights. And, you know, they just kind of always looks a little crappy. And they're not that diffused and everything. And so... I was setting up my lighting setup and this this light has this like giant chimera like kind of light like a 38 inch dome right and so i've been kind of you know i've started out shooting all my own stuff and i'm pretty into cameras and lighting and stuff and for some reason in my mind like if you want a softer like big soft light is always the best right you want especially if you want to make someone look good right and make their skin look good you want to make the wrinkles go away you want like a big soft source and I guess, I don't know why in my mind it was always like, let's get like as big of a diffusion as we can get or like even double break a light, which means, you know, you put a piece of diffusion in front of it and then like five feet in front of that, you put in a bigger piece of diffusion and put it far away, right? Because you don't want it to feel mm-hmm. sourcey. You don't want to feel like the light is like is theirs because it's reflected in a person's skin and they look shiny. And to me, like you're just trying to make people not look shiny, right? First and foremost. And so I showed my setup to my DP. I'm like, I don't know. This isn't like looking that great. It's like a really expensive light. Like I put it here far away from my wife. You know, it's on this giant like suit. Like it's a triple broken. There's like three layers of diffusion. What's going on? And he's like, oh, with the big light like that, you need to put it as close as possible to the actor. Oh. And I was like, wait, but I kind of always think like the farther a light is away, the more it spreads, right? The angle. And he's like, well you always want a bigger light, right? That's why bounces look good because you're bouncing like, you know, a very small light against like a eight foot by four foot piece of foam core or something that's a big light. And so to make lights bigger, you move them closer to the actor, right? Because the actor is pretty much like a mirror for your Ah. lights. And it's just kind of blew my mind because I've been shooting stuff like that. I've done like a bazillion interviews and EPKs and just close-up shots of yeah. actors and everything. And to me, it's always like giant light as far away as possible. It also obviously gives you some room to move and stuff, which you don't really need in an audition. But yeah, when you think about it, that house is like right there, right? That, that Yeah. The bounce. But, but then, yeah, that the closer a light is or a big diffused light dome is to your actor, the bigger it is relative to their skin. So if, yeah. if it's far away, instead of just being like a tiny shine on their cheek, now it's like... Uh, reflecting on their nose and their ear and everything yeah. and so i've just like totally changed my philosophy of lighting with those light domes or a china ball or anything like mm-hmm. that which is get yes, up in there giant big bounces are great you know especially if you're kind of bouncing off of something but if you have one of those big chimeras put it as like on the mm. edge of frame every time and like as close to your actor as possible to 
if you're going for a pretty look, you know, if you have Clive Owen and it's children of men, you're probably not going for that. But, <laughs> you know, for just kind of pretty lighting, uh, bring those big lights close. So that's my unpaid endorsement. Sorry, it was a long, a long way to get there. I like that. I like I'm it. I'm going to use it. that. Yeah. Josh, what you got, buddy? Oh. <laughs> what don't you got? Oh, what don't I got? Thank you so much, guys. Pouring to you live from this side of the table. <laughs> um, Dave Pollitt Art. Dave Pollitt Art Instagram. How do you spell Pollitt? P-O-L-L-O-T. Dave Pollitt Art. All one word. His name is Dave Pollitt. He is a painter who does these like classic paintings but then adds like a modern touch. Like for example, he'll do – I'll show you guys this like impeccable Mm -hmm. like image of of flowers and then just toss in like M&Ms, like a bag of M&Ms or – or uh, uh, or McDonald's. He does some horror movie characters, so he'd do like a beautiful picture of like a Victorian girl by the water, but then put like Michael Myers stalking <laughs> her. Um, some stuff with like Beetlejuice. He has this beautiful one of Jack Torrance tearing through a uh, canvas. I've gotten um, some prints for buddies for birthdays and uh, Christmas oh, presents, a couple Christmas presents, but I really, really like his art. He does this... Beetlejuice one that I love of the uh, a sandworm like curling up a like a lighthouse like Monet meets Warhol and it's like Monet yeah it's kind of like yeah, yeah Warhol yeah. style yeah, I yeah. love I really really do love Ben yeah just kind of going down a big old surreal art wormhole I don't know if you call that surreal but yeah yes Warhol no, I, you know what I love or about wormhole. that also is um, the idea of wormhole. like having like a go to gift. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. like I love like this art as something I really love. I think it, you know, you I will. I will. Though, just put as an aside, like giving someone art as a gift is risky. Like today, my wife was. We were going through the basement together, and she. I have a lot of art. They're in no basements in California. We, it is weird that you guys we have, have a basement. Right? We live on the hill. It's that's a line from Zodiac. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. Uh, is that Mark. That's why. I, that's why I blacklisted that movie. But she made me throw away a lot of art. I'm like, this is like my friend painted it. This is like an awesome picture I got for a birthday gift. This is like, she's like, it's been in the basement for eight years. I'm like, yeah, but like, what if I shoot a scene and I need a piece of art? She's like, you can't use this thing from whatever, some random art store. I'm like, okay. So we just gave it all the goodwill. So yeah, but that art is awesome. Send, send, make a card out of it. Yeah, <laughs> like the card sure. and then yeah, the card. something smaller to throw away is better. Um. <laughs> Put it in the basement. You know, Marie Kondo says the value of a gift is in the exchange, mm-hmm. and so once you receive the gift, the gift has already like done its work for this universe. Mm. So you can get rid of it without any guilt. It reminds me of the the tweet video of a, a parent giving a daughter a banana wrapped in newspaper. And the daughter, the three-year-old, like opens up and goes, banana! <laughs> so happy. That sounds good, actually. Yeah, that's great. Well, my, uh, my endorsement is a short from Short of the Week, our old pals at Short of the Week. And it's by, do you guys know Terry Timely? Do you know that no. group? Terry Timely is like, uh, I think it's they familiar. call themselves a video band. They're like a collective of filmmakers. It's like, I think, three people. Kind oh, of. that's all you need for a collective now? Three people? You know. Sound like my a family bunch of is, idiots to me. This, this isn't my family party. It's my collective, okay? Well, I think we've all probably lost jobs to these guys. Um, <laughs> they're real solid, but they've got a short called Lazy Susan, and it's about the... It's like a, a imagined... Uh, the inventor? Fictionalized version of the inventor of the oh, Lazy I've seen it. Ooh, Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. You loved it, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I think well, I've used... I pulled images from it from a yeah, treatment. Yeah. Are yeah, they totally. like the Daniels? 
Yeah, but they predate the Daniels. Yeah, but they're a collective. There's three of them. Oh, they're a collective. <laughs> so it's like Radio Silence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're okay. Radio Silence. Yeah, yeah, they've been on the podcast. That's right. I listened to that one too. It's yeah, crazy. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's you guys. You guys have some big people. That's my endorsement. Just shoot it. That's my endorsement. We didn't realize how famous they were when they came in. And so yeah, people, people were like, were they? And they were like, I've got to be the coolest. Yeah, just, just like just nice like, mellow dudes who want to like, talk about Indiana Jones with us. Yeah, like they they would have stayed. An hour or two longer. I love, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. They're they're yeah. they're rad. They just they seem like just just you know one of us. Hey, yeah. let's go shoot some VHS out in the uh, on the desert. Yeah. By that I mean a horror anthology. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally <laughs> disproved their name by being on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. quite but, talkative dudes. Oh gosh. Well, when you get five people in a room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, cool. If we want to find out more about Scare Me, Josh Rubin, your Ooh, Tinder, the whole account, shebang. Yeah. Check out my website, joshesmindhouse.com. Serious. Yeah, can you believe it? No apostrophe, though. No, no well, apostrophe. That was the name you of your podcast. That was the name of my podcast, and now it's just, you know what? It's just going to be my brand. It's also my S-Corp. Josh's Mindhouse Inc. Send a check yeah. to <laughs> sure, Toro 2209 Dorson. Yeah. Oh. Let's hear your uh, EIM, please, real quick, just so we can. You have an S-Corp uh, service? Yeah. I have an S-Corp service. Uh, it's uh, very unsexy, and uh, time's up. Um, yeah, it's just uh, Josh Rubin on Twitter, you know? Can I, what can I say? Come R-U-B-E-N, guys, not like the sandwich. Like Rubin Blades. Well, th- <laughs> thanks so much, Josh. Uh, you can learn about all of the things that we talked about on the show uh, at justshootapod.com and if you have any questions email us at justshootapod at gmail.com social media at justshootapod I'm at Mr. Madden Lowe. I'm on Instagram at Kaplan. this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda our webmaster is Ewan Williams and we would love an iTunes review if you get some time to do that and we will catch you next time <laughs>